Hi everyone and welcome to Get With IT, a podcast by IT Ops Times. Here's Jenna Barron, news editor of IT Ops Times. Hello everyone. In this episode, I spoke with Mike Milinkovic, executive director of the Eclipse Foundation about Europe's Cyber Resilience Act. The Eclipse Foundation is based in Europe, so they're pretty knowledgeable about this act. So we thought Mike would be a great person to talk to to learn more. So I'll let him introduce himself and then we'll get right into the episode. I'm Mike Milinkovic. I live in Ottawa, Canada. And for the last 19 years, I've had the privilege of being the executive director of the Eclipse Foundation. And so I've been through almost uh, 20 some years of, of open source engagement. Uh, and I guess it's sort of just to provide a little bit of context, uh, you know, Eclipse Foundation is to this day is best known for the Eclipse IDE that, uh, that started, uh, it off, but we've now grown to being over 400 and 425 different projects. And, uh, the IDE is, is a relatively small part of what we do now. We're a lot of context in a lot of content in IOT and edge compute, um, automotive, uh, cloud native Java. We're now we now run the specification process for the what used to be known as Java EE or, or Enterprise Java. Uh, so we're a specification organization as well. And three years ago, we we moved our legal domicile from the United States to Belgium, and we are now a Belgian international nonprofit association uh, based in Brussels. Awesome. That kind of leads into the topic of today's conversation, since we're going to be talking about the Cyber Resilience Act, um, which is a new piece of legislation in Europe. So I guess to set the stage, can you sort of lay out what this Cyber Resilience Act is and sort of how it impacts um, developers? Absolutely. So the first, I just want to start off to sort of, uh, so I don't bury the lead. Uh, I just want to say that for your listeners, there, I sort of divide the open source community into two camps at the moment. Mm-hmm. There's those of us who are scared silly by the CRA, uh, and there's those of us who don't yet understand it. Um, so the thing I want is that every single developer or any everybody who even um, you know uses open source, uh, even if they're not an open source maintainer or contributor, uh, needs to understand that there are huge changes coming um, and that the CRA threatens the fabric um, that has been really driving innovation through our economies and societies for the last, certainly the last 20 years. And so what is, what does the CRA do? So at the highest level, what the CRA, the Cyber Resilience Act is doing is regulating the entire software industry. So for its entire history, the software industry has been an unregulated industry. And in a couple of years from now, because there was a a transition period um, before it comes into full effect, um, the CRA is going to change the software industry into a regulated industry. And what the European Union is doing is extending the CE mark regime um, to software. So um, many of us have got pieces of electronics equipment or sometimes children's toys or the like um, that somewhere on the on the box or on the device, there's a CE mark. And that is a mark, a European mark that indicates that it is um, that this device or product conforms to uh, a regulatory environment in Europe. 
And this historically has been uh, used for uh, products which are regulated, like radios and, the su and such, or potentially hazardous, like children's toys, or, you know, obviously hazardous, like boilers and the like. Um, so without too much hyperbole, you can say that Europe has decided that software is now a hazardous product and needs to be regulated as such. Uh, and so this is going to apply to the entire software industry. Um, and so I haven't even got to open source yet. And the part that's worrisome for, for open source uh, developers and maintainers is as it, it, as it is currently drafted, the CRA applies to open source as well as to products. Uh, so, and so I've, I've written about this extensively. It basically what they're, what they're saying is that, that open source is just another type of software product. Uh, and the full regulatory impact of the CE mark regime needs to be applied to open source. Now, to keep, to continue on the three, the, the, the sort of discussion of what the CRA does is it breaks software products down. They call it products with digital elements. So this could be pure software or it could be a device like your mobile phone or uh, a webcam in your house, um, that are, devices which uh, include software as part of it. So it could be pure software or a device that embeds software. And it breaks it down into products with digital elements, critical products with digital elements, and highly critical products with digital elements. So examples of a critical product would be uh, something like an operating system, say Linux, for example. An example of a highly critical product um, could be an operating system that's used in industrial machinery. And if you have a if you have a critical or highly critical product, then the uh, in addition to get the CE mark, you will actually have to engage with an external auditor um, who will come in and audit um, your conformance with the uh, checklists and requirements that are laid forth in the legislation and its and its annexes. So, which will obviously add a lot of time uh, and expense to the production of software that we currently haven't had to do um, in it, you know, throughout the history of the software industry. So maybe I'll just pause there and see if any of that uh, um, uh, instills uh, a little, a, a few extra questions or is anything else that you want to drill down on? Yeah. So I think an interesting part of this and also the reason why I'm talking to you is because the Eclipse Foundation um, published a letter kind of in response to this CRA Act. So can you explain a little bit about what's in that letter and how that all came to be? Because it's been signed off on by a number of other organizations in Europe too. Yeah, really what we're, the point of the letter is to express to the leg legislators um, the concerns that we have with the legislation and to point out that this legislation was developed without, in our view, um, adequate consultation from the developers and communities that are going to be impacted the most. Uh, so we think that the, you know, we think that the legislation is dangerous to the innovation economy in, in Europe uh, and will actually not achieve the goal of improving cybersecurity and products for consumers in Europe, which is ultimately the goal. Uh, and so we wanted to just basically 
register our concerns and in, in, in a public way uh, in, in the hope that our concerns will be listened to and, um, and, and dealt with. So one of the things to understand is that we really didn't get on this file, uh, you know, really didn't even become aware of it until, um, was it uh, late October, early November of 2022. By that time, the draft legislation had already been submitted by the Commission to the uh, European Parliament and the, um, the, the, the Council of Europe. Uh, so at that point, uh, by the time this legislation was drafted and submitted, um, we were no longer we no longer have the options of trying to persuade the bureaucracy to uh, you know adjust the positions in, in the legislation we are now in the realm of politics um so for the first time in my career um you know um we're we're contacting members of european parliament and so on in a, a classical political lobbying process mm-hmm. uh, and and honestly and that's what's that's what it's going to take and so one of the things for you know, for any of your listeners in Europe, if you are an open source, um, you know, contributor or maintainer or have a passion for for open source, um, this is going to ultimately boil down to persuading the politicians that there's a problem here um, and a problem that needs to be addressed. And mm-hmm. that's so the, unfortunately, that's that's where we are. Um, and, and that's that's the, that's the motivation behind the letter. Do you have any opinion on like what changes the that could be made to the loss so that it sort of both suits the needs of the open source community while also providing the security benefits that the lawmakers are trying to achieve with this right so good question so let's let's go back to the original intent of 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 the cyber resilience act the intent is to protect european consumers um from defective products um and in particular from where if you think of defective as unpatched security vulnerabilities, um, you know, that is really what, what the drive is here is to protect European consumers and to a certain degree businesses from, um, you know, software, which is not adequately supported um, uh, for security purposes through its life team, lifetime, life cycle, sorry. So both in terms of its initial development and, and how it's supported. Um, we think that the, the emphasis needs to be on legislating uh, requirements on those parties which are commercializing the open source. So the companies and organizations that are putting these, um, you know, that are that are putting open source into products and then selling or licensing those products in the in the European market. And the reason why we think that's true is that they're the they're the organizations that have the resources um, to comply with the regulatory requirements, uh, and and not only the resources because they're companies, but ultimately, if there is a work that if there is work that needs to be done in order to to comply with the regulations, let's remember that all open source software is provided for free, um, and by as in no charge. So unlike Anything that Europe has ever tried to regulate in the past, free and open source software, there is no price attached to it. Typically, what happens when uh, an industry becomes regulated, uh, the the industry deals with the regulations, and it, you know ultimately the costs get passed to the consumer. 
in uh, whether they be you know individuals or, or or other businesses. But if you have an added cost in terms of uh, implementing a product, then you pass those along to the consumer. But when the price is zero and is forever fixed at zero, the open source ecosystem doesn't have that option. So we have no way of we have no way of bearing this burden. And so our belief is that the best way to, to do this is that where open source is being commercialized, um, that that's where the regulations apply. And then I think, you know, another thing outside of the CRA topic, it's, you know, been long recognized that the consumers of open source have not been putting enough resources into the, its support and maintenance. Right. So I think that one of the things that, um, you know, I'm forever an optimist. And one of the things that I hope would come out of, out of putting the regulatory burden on the, the parties that are commercializing open source is they will quickly discover that investing in the upstream projects um, is going to be the fastest route to being able to comply with the regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, if this was done appropriately, I think the economic incentives would be in the right direction so that companies that are using open source, whether they be productizing them or whether they be putting them, in, if you're an enterprise, you know, putting them into consumer facing applications, you know, in either case, those those companies would be financially incented uh, to support the open source communities that they're that they're uh, using in their products. Before we end this episode, what is the biggest takeaway from this conversation that you want to leave our listeners with? Well, the biggest takeaway, I think, is the simple fact that regulation is coming, whether, you know, we're talking about Europe in this, in, on this uh, call, but in the, in the United States, there's also the, the White House has recently published cybersecurity, national cybersecurity strategy that is also talking about some uh, changes to the regulatory and liability law environments for software. Um, so the, the software industry is, is ultimately, I think, is in the, in the, in the crosshairs of the, um, of, the, of, the, of the governments to become a, a more regulated industry. And that is going to be a big change. And I think that that is going to be, that will impact the open source community one way or the other. Um, but what we're really struggling uh, to um, convince people is that open source has been a huge source of innovation um, and technology, uh, technological momentum throughout our economies and societies for the last 20 years, um, and threatening that ecosystem by an overly burdensome set of regulations will be counterproductive. And in the case of Europe, it's going to be counterproductive um, for innovation. It's going to be counterproductive for digital sovereignty. And ultimately, I don't think it's going to help improve the security of the products that consumers are buying. And I think ultimately that's that's what really has to be focused on is, is, is doing that, fixing the issues that are affecting consumers around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, I think probably a lot of our listeners might not be super familiar with this law, given that we have a large portion of North American listeners, but it is important to kind of be aware of what's going on around the world, given that a lot of developers do live in in Europe and are contributing to open source software in Europe. So um, it's important to, 
to stay on top of. Thanks everyone for listening. Just a few housekeeping things before I sign off. If you're not subscribed to the podcast already, make sure you do that so you get notifications whenever we release a new episode. And if you like the show, leave us a review on that app as well. You can also follow us on all the major social media platforms to stay up to date on all the content we put out. 